persecution sermon from last week, and that's in Matthew 5. So uh, let's get started. First off, what did we talk about last week? Persecution. Yeah, I gave you a little hint so you couldn't fail, even if you weren't here. Okay, so persecution. And, 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 and we're in Matthew 5, and so persecution, remember, we're, it talks about in those verses, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And, and, and basically, we focused on what's on the other side of your persecution, right? What's, what's on the other side? Where's your promised land? Because there's blessing on it. There's blessing there. And it's funny because when God teaches, especially in Matthew 5, when he's on the Sermon on the Mount, teaching to all his disciples, he's very wise because there's a string of seemingly disconnected thoughts that are highly connected. But it takes a little bit of digging to realize how connected they are. How many have done that in the Bible? Maybe you've read something a hundred times and it seems very obvious. And then you come back to it one time and you're like, how have I been missing this for 20 years? You know? And, and God loves to speak to us fresh and anew and in fresh ways. And, and so hopefully today, uh, this will be fresh and anew for you as well. Amen? So let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the stuff you've already done, for the ways that you've already shown up. God, we thank you for your promise that, God, you are in our midst. Where we're gathered together, you are in our midst. And, and God, we just welcome you to, to show yourself uh, and, and, and reveal yourself in greater measure and greater proportion this morning. And God, just have your way with us, in us, and through us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, can somebody grab me a water? Maybe actually, I might actually have my water there. Here, come grab it. I'm a bit parched. <clears throat> everyone tell your neighbor right now, I forgive. Zach, for speaking in youth pastor language. <clears throat> so remember, I speak to youth all the time, so if I use a certain vernacular that you're not used to, or you hear a certain term that you're not familiar with, just raise your hand, I'll explain it, okay? <clears throat> Amen? Okay, okay, we're doing good. Uh, so our main verse today will be out of Matthew 5. We'll start in verses, uh, verse 13. And you guys have probably all heard this before. So if you need to leave, you can just leave now. It's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But salt and light. How many have heard the salt and light passage or maybe a sermon on the salt and light or maybe you watched Stephen Furtick do a really good like, mm, like you know, salt and light deal? Well, hopefully today will be a little bit different. Um, uh, obviously, I'm not strong as Stephen Furtick, but you will enjoy the sermon hopefully and hopefully God will touch your heart through it. So let's turn to Matthew 5, 13 and kind of just read through our base uh, 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 verse for the day and then we're gonna kind of break down what that means. Sound good? All right, I need a little bit of feedback. So if you're not one that typically gives feedback, I need it. I used to be a teacher, and I love feedback, and I would force my students to give it. So, okay, here we go. Amen. That's right, dude. Pass the test, Jonathan. You are the salt of the earth. It's Jesus speaking. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's a lot to it. There's actually two portions to this we're going to break apart. Salt and light. 
Now, for a lot of us, we look at that first. Can we go back actually to verse 13, Marissa? You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Kind of a loaded verse. There's a lot going on. And for some of us, that may provoke a little bit of fear. And it shouldn't. And we're going to kind of break that apart. So let's look at maybe some passages. Because remember, when Jesus teaches about something, he typically teaches about it multiple times throughout Scripture, right? He kind of gives us a little bit of a backstory or background to help us to understand. Because God knows we need help. <laughs> so we're looking at this. And so he also talks about this in Mark 9.50. And let's go there real quick. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Wow. It's like the same teaching. Have salt amongst or among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Oh, so we have a new statement here. Have salt among yourselves, speaking to the disciples, the people of God, and be at peace with each other. What does that relate to? Anything come to mind? Last few weeks? Peacemaking, peacekeeping. Remember the difference? Pastor Joel was talking about that the other week. Be at peace with each other. Not peacekeeping, but we're being peacemakers. And we covered that a little bit last week. Let's also jump to Luke 14, 25 to 35. So we have a little more insight now. We've looked at Mark. Now let's see what it says in Luke. And we're going to give a little bit of backstory because the backstory is important for understanding the end statement, which talks about the salt. Sound good? So stay with me just for a little bit. I promise we're going to bring it all together. Jesus is teaching again. So here we go. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not, ha does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And my parents are here today, so this is kind of funny. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to, f to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king who is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So now we have more context. God's talking about, here's how you be a disciple. You carry your cross, you look like me. And in that context, it's not saying like physically, like hate your, actually physically hate them, right? Because in, in, in Matthew uh, 5, 6, 7, when it's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, God actually mentions about hate. If you hate a brother or sister, right? It's the same as murder. He talks about a heart issue. So he's not, phys he's not actually talking about hating in the context of, no, well, he wants you to, mentally murder them, I guess, right? But, but what he's saying is you can have nothing else that's more important to you than me. Not one other thing. 
He's not asking for like an eight. We talked a little bit about this last time. He's not talking about, he's, he doesn't want an 85% disciple. I would venture to say Judas was probably 85% in. He did all the stuff up until the very end and then he messed it up. But then he felt bad about it. And then he hung himself. I would say he was probably 85% in. I mean, he was in it, he was in it the whole time. But there was parts of his heart that he didn't give away. And those are the parts that were his downfall, right? And so what Jesus is saying here, salt is good. And what is salt? Let's just break down what is salt actually good for? Well, first, preserving, right? What does it do? It preserves meat. So you salt meat to have it last longer. So first off, preservation. What about another thing? You put it on food to enhance the flavor. So there's an enhancement quality about salt. It brings out the flavor in something. And then third, and it mentions it a little bit in this last passage. So either remember when it says it's no longer good for the soil or for the mineral pile? Actually, it's right there. Fertilizer. It's used as fertilizer in right doses. So we know it preserves, it enhances, and it fertilizes the things around it. That's what salt does. So when he's saying salt is good, He's saying, look, if you want to be my disciple, this is what salt looks like. It preserves the people around it. It fertilizes and helps them to grow into something new, something afresh. It enhances their flavor, enhances who they are. So when we're looking at our lives and we're thinking, man, a disciple, how do we do this? It's all about being like salt. And God is saying here, it's just, it's, it's not a scary, sometimes we think about it being so scary, like, oh man, if I'm not going to be the salt, he's just going to throw me out. Well, we already knew that entering into this Christian life, right? You don't follow Jesus, you're either in or out. You're fully in or you're fully out. And it's not like a scary thing. So th this verse is not to like scare those like who maybe you felt like, man, I'm very distant from the Lord right now. He's just, gonna, is he going to throw me out? No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. Or, or maybe you're like, man, it's been a while since I, I just, I'm trying, I'm trying my best to, to come back to the Lord and I got some stuff I'm dealing with and I'm giving it to him. No, he's not talking about you. He's not gonna throw you out. He won't turn you away, right? But this is saying, think about it. At the end of time, when he's judging people based on what they did, this is when this applies. Remember the verse, two will be in the field, one will be... Uh, left, the other will be taken away. You're the one that's going to be left. And the ones who don't follow God's ways will be the ones taken away. And it's not scary for us. That should not be a scary thing. We're like, sweet, we get to hang around with Jesus? This is going to be great. So this verse, don't let it scare you because it scared me for a while. I'm always like on edge like, oh, God's going to smite me, right? He's going to throw me out. No, it's not about that. It's not about that. So can we say, I'm not scared? Awesome. So God is teaching us right there. What are we going to be? We're going to be salt. It's good. Salt is good. We're going to preserve who? People around us. We're going to enhance them. We're going to build them up. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Salvation is awesome. And bringing people into the family of God is the first step. But then what do you do? Go and make disciples. What does that involve? Preserving, enhancing, growing, fertilizing. That's what it's all about. That's what the kingdom is all about. So now let's look at the second part of it. 
So the, the uh, verse, Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, when it talks about the light, are we doing okay? My voice isn't quite as uh, somber as last time, so hopefully this is coming out there. So light. So let's read that. Actually, can we start verse 14 and read that one more time before we break it apart? Awesome. Thank you, Marissa. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, so there's a light aspect. So now we gotta look at the light aspect. Well, Jesus obviously teaches about light in other places. Right? He obviously teaches about light. So let's jump over to John 1 and uh, kind of break down some ways that he talks about light. And maybe they'll give, shed some more light on what he's talking about. Now the second half of the passage Matthew 5, 14 through 16 isn't as difficult to understand as the salt, arguably. But it's nice to have context. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Talking about Jesus. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing has been made that has been made. So He has authority over all things. That's essentially what it's saying. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all Mankind. Let's stop there for a second. So the light of all mankind, in him is life, the true life. And it gives context. He's the light of all mankind. Who's the light of all mankind? Jesus is. Jesus is. And actually, if you look at John 9, 5, can we jump there really quickly, please? John 9, 5, it, it says, well, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So while he's in the, the light of the, while he's the light of the world, he's that city on a hill. He's the one everybody's looking to. He's the lamp in the middle of the room that lights that gives light to everyone by nearby. And then also in John 8:12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So now we have even more context. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's jump back to 514, Matthew 514, please. This is a little more teachy, so I hope this is going okay. You are the light of the world. Wait, Jesus just got done saying, I'm the light of the world. Now we read in Matthew 5, he's saying, you are the light of the world. That's kind of crazy. You're the one everyone's looking at. You're the one that's put on a pedestal in front of people for your light to shine in front of. You're the city on a hill. That's who you are. But a lot of us love to say this and think this. We forget this passage, but we remember the others. We remember that God is the light of the world. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, guess what? 
Jesus left and went to spend time with the Father because he lives to intercede for us now. So who's still here? His people, his kids, his children. We're still here. And what God is trying to get us to do and what he's talking about in this passage is he's trying to get you to be the light for the people. Jesus is gone. Now who's his representative? It's you. It's me. It's us. And we always like to do the whole thing like, it's all you, Jesus. You're the light, baby. But we don't remember that he has now brought us into that same role, that same position. And you're like, well, how dare I be in the same position as God? Well, he brought you into his family. You're a king and a priest. Yeah, you're in the family now. You, when, when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Think about that. The blood of Jesus covers you. So whenever he sees you, he sees Jesus. You're the light. Well, let's break that down even more. What is light? Like, what are characteristics of light? Like, what is God really trying to teach here? What are some characteristics of light? Tell your neighbor one characteristic of light. Go. That's not rhetorical. You must tell your neighbor. All right, I want to hear some. Shout them out. Wavelength, yes. Reveals. Warm, yes, that's an important one. We'll talk about that. Pushes back darkness. Say again. Guides, yes, guides, like a lighthouse. Reveals. Encourages. Never fails. Illuminates. All right, now tell your neighbor, man, you're smart. <laughs> so we touched on a few, and it's really important. But first off, like a lighthouse, it guides us. Light is used as a guide. When you have an absence of light, you're in trouble. What if both your headlights go out when you're driving at midnight? You're going to stop right away, whether you want to or not. <laughs> It illuminates and brings clarity. It's hard to do any reading in a low light environment. Why? Because you can't read the words. You can't actually see because your eyes function off of light. If there's no light, you cannot see. It warms and it gives energy or it is energy. And that's important because without warmth on this earth, there, there'd be no way to sustain life. If the sun wasn't exactly a certain distance away and the atmosphere wasn't built a certain way, we would all die and life would not exist. It's amazing. That's just what light does. It also sustains life. So it gives energy like photosynthesis or even solar cells that we use to power our, our homes, our vehicles. It can measure and calculate. Some of you know this really well when you've sped through a traffic light. <laughs> the laser got you. The laser got you good. It can destroy. It can shape. 
it can engrave. These are all functions and aspects of life. So when God's making this teaching and saying, hey, you're the light of the world, he's not making some small, insignificant declaration. He's saying, no, 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 look, beloved, you are now my guides on earth. You're the ones who illuminate. You're the ones who bring clarity. You're the ones who warm and energize. You're the ones who are calculating and measuring. You're the ones who destroy when you need to, who shape and pierce when it's required. You're the ones who sustain life. Sometimes we think ourselves very insignificant. We think that what we do doesn't really matter or who we are doesn't really matter. But you're in God's family. You were bought at a price. You are not insignificant. You are the light of the world. God's trying to bring us into a teaching and an understanding that he's saying, look, I have made you and authorized you to look and act and be just like me. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And sometimes in our lives, we love to just do the whole, Jesus, I just believe you're gonna take care of this whole thing. And we externalize the solution to God, which isn't bad. But we forget that he has internalized a solution. We are the solution. We are the solution. He spent a very long time waiting so he could live inside of his people. Now, once he's finally lived inside his people, we are still constantly looking up to heaven and saying, God, 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 will you just take care of this? And he doesn't realize he wants to take you into the heavenly places to bring solutions to where you're at now. You are the light of the world. You have that access now. That's what we have. So in your workplaces, in your school programs, you have divine insight that nobody else should have because you're the light of the world. They aren't. If they're not a son and daughter of God, they do not have the same rights, and they, but they also don't have the same responsibilities that you have. You are the light of the world. Let's read that one more time. It's so good. Jesus teaches it the best, so let's read what he said. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Let's stay there for a second. That was quick. Well done, Marissa. You are meant to be put on display. You are meant to be shown off. Well, I'm not really that kind of person. I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm really humble. That's not the way he made you. So you are actually going against your original design. When you're trying to do the quiet, humility, humble, holy thing where you're totally quiet and you have no influence over anything at all, that is against God's nature and that's the wrong version of humility. Stop listening to the devil. You are meant to be on a hill, to be shown off. People are supposed to be looking at you for their hope, for their guidance, for their illumination, their clarity. Why? Because you carry Jesus inside of you. You are a child of the king. 
God wants to put you like a lamp in the middle of a room. And where do you put lamps? In dark places. So you constantly ask yourself, and I do the exact same thing. God, why did you put me in this position? Why did you put me in this job? Why did you put me with these people? And you don't remember that God has put you there for a reason. You're the lamp. He stuck right there and said, you're the solution. You're bringing unity to the workplace. You're the one who's bringing salvation there. Oh, they're addicted to stuff? Well, guess what? You have the solution called Jesus to help them through that. And it's not just simply a spiritual thing. You have practical ways to influence. Let's say you're in the science, the sciences. God has breakthroughs and developments and drugs just for you. You have access to heavenly things. He knows what works well with, with people, right? He designed them. So it's practical too. It's not just a spiritual thing. He's put you there to get divine insight and revelation to bring to benefit mankind. And don't think you're significant. We talked a little bit about this last week. Don't think you're significant. God used Peter and John, two lay people, people who are not taught. They didn't have a theology degree. They didn't have a doctorate of divinity. They were just ordinary, unschooled men, it says in the Bible. And they turned a whole region upside down. Why? Because they understood that we're a big deal. We're made in the light and the image of God. We have the same influence that he had here. And I think so much in our church culture, we get stuck on just the mountain of religion. How many are here when Johnny Enlow is preaching during our summit? Talks about the seven mountains. It's a fantastic teaching. I'm gonna summarize it right here. There's areas of influence that God has ordained you to be on or as Johnny Enlow says, mountains of influence or culture that you're meant to be designed and, and, and work in. And so they've been identified as areas like government, economy, media, education, family, and then celebration, which involves like arts and entertainment, sports, and religion. And these are different mountains of influence that we all rest on. And a lot of our understanding for being the light of the world is directly related to the mountain of religion. Pastors, preachers, worship leaders, all the big deals. And we forget that you have influence on whatever mountain of culture you're in. You're a gas station attendant, that's awesome. You come into contact with more people every day than probably a majority of the jobs. Think about the light of the world you can be in that situation. Think about that. And I don't think we even really realize how we can be the light in the world in those areas because we never ask God, can you show me how to be like you in this area? What does it look like to be here? Not like, not like, Jesus, what does it look like to be in the mountain religion on the mountain of economy? No, 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 no. What does it take to look like Jesus in government? What does it take to look like Jesus 
in media. And we forget that, you know, it's, it's beyond even spiritual, right? Spiritual is the base foundation. Getting people saved in whatever area you're in is the base of the steps. So you start here. All right, what's our goal? Bring people into the family. Step two, disciple them, teach them the ways. But then we haven't even gotten to the other ways God wants to touch that arena. God has practical ways he wants to touch the arena of education. What does it look like if Jesus was a teacher in a school with preschoolers? You know? And we don't really understand because we haven't asked God, hey God, what does it look like to be here? So graduates, this is for you specifically. Whatever area you're being trained up in, whatever area you're training in right now or gonna be training in or you've already trained in thus far, ask God, God, how can I be like you in this area? What does it look like to be like this? Because Jesus is the perfect example. But remember, we only have one aspect of who he was. God has a bigger plan than just him coming to earth. He has a bigger plan because guess what? He made you just like him. He was one light who came down and he created a billion. So what is in it for you? I'll invite the worship team up. How are you the salt and the light where you're at? Have we even asked God what it looks like to be like him in our area of influence? And maybe we have. And I'm, look, I'm not, this is not like a guilt thing. <clears throat> it's kind of like last week. It's like, let's do this. How long have we been doing it like a weird way? Where we go to work, we do our work thing. We have our work friends. We leave our work friends on Sunday morning. We come to church. We do our spiritual thing. And there's a, a, a separation between the sacred and the secular. But God's been trying to get into your workplace through you. But we have such a negative mindset of what that looks like. Ah, oh, they're just work people. Oh, they're terrible. Do you hear the jokes they make? They're just dirty individuals. Or my workplace, man, there's so much disunity there. It's unbelievable. I want to leave. And we don't understand that God has put us as a lightning rod there. How's his presence going to get there? Through you. Why? Because you're the light of the world. You're the light. You carry everything you need to. A, a God living inside of you. That's everything you need. You carry him wherever you go. If you have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, sorry. You're out of luck. You want to accept him today? Come see me after service. It'll change your life. But here's the thing. We have to think through that we are the light. It's not about doing your job and retiring in 50 years and escaping culture. That's not God's plan for your life. You are put there for a reason. You've been given the skills and the abilities you have, the talents, the personality 
terrain in a certain area and no one else can do it, not one person. God doesn't make duplicates. Look at snow. And that's just water particles, dude, that's it. That's just water particles. You're a human being. You're made in the image and likeness of him. He doesn't make a duplicate. No one can do the exact same thing that you can do. No one can reach the exact same people that you can do. You are put there for a reason. God designed you intimately. Before the time came that you were needed, he said, I'm gonna put them in the darkest place and they're gonna just make it crazy. They're gonna make it awesome. But what does it take? What does it take? It's good to talk about it on a Sunday morning, but what does it actually take? It takes a people who are committed to spending time with the one who is light so we can become like him. He said, you're the light of the world. You don't know how to do it? Spend time with the one who already did it. Step one. Step two. We gotta work on our courage a bit. We gotta step out of our comfort zone. We gotta dismiss thoughts that are counter to what God has in plan for our lives. Counterfeit thoughts, lies from the enemy. And third, we just gotta let our, ourselves just be used by him. We just gotta let him do it. Cause he wants to do it, amen? We doing okay? Can everyone stand? We're gonna end with this verse and then we're gonna do some worship. Second Kings 2, 19 through 22. So in this verse, Elijah had just been taken up. So we're going back a little bit. Elijah got taken up by the flaming horses and chariot into heaven. Elisha saw it happen, which means then he received the double portion. So then he leaves. And one of the first events that happens right after that is this. It says, the people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see, but the water is ba bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says, I've healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. What if we just let ourselves be that salt? in an unproductive area. What if we just let God use us? It will never again cause death or make the land unproductive. 
never again cause death? What if your workplace never felt like death again? <laughs> it's through you. It's through us. Just being like him. Just doing the thing. But we got to allow him to do it. So if this touched your heart, just spend some time just talking to dad. Sometimes we just need a moment to just give back to him and say, God, I'm sorry for having wrong thoughts. I'm sorry for not doing this your way. I'm sorry for not seeing your plan. And just, just going through a little forgiveness action. So we'll pray and then I'll release you guys to worship. God, we just thank you for these people. God, we thank you for New Horizon. God, would you help us to rise up into our destinies? The big boots, the big shoes that you have given us, God, that we would rise up into those. That God, we see that we really are the salt and the light. This isn't a role reserved exclusively for you, but one that you've given to us. And that God, you would help us to see that, you'd help us to know that, to walk in that, to rejoice in that, to know that you have a plan bigger than we can handle in that, that requires us to run to you, God. And we just thank you, God. We thank you for this opportunity you've given us. And we just give you our hearts, God. We just repent right now of any way that we have partnered with the enemy and his thought life and his lies over who we are and what we do and being the salt and light in our workplace, in our families, in our schools. That we'd no longer hide, but we'd put ourselves on a stand knowing that you put us there. And we'd be brave knowing that you have given us all that is required. We love you and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing else, nothing else will do.